You are entering the Freedom Hut. President Trump calls her Pocahontas, and now she is fighting back. Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts took a DNA test. I have the stunning results for you coming up. Also, the disappearance and now believed murder of Jamal Khashoggi. We have updates on that for you. Looks like the Saudis are responsible, but which Saudis? That and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. You're going to cover Pocahontas? Who was... Think of it. Think of it. She of the great... Tribal heritage. What tribe is it? Uh, let me think about that one. <laughs> Meantime, she's based her life on being a minority. Pocahontas. They always want me to apologize for saying it. And I hereby... Oh, no, I want to apologize. I'll use tonight. Pocahontas, I apologize to you. I apologize. To you, I apologize. To the, to the fake Pocahontas, I won't apologize. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Great to have you here with me in the Freedom Hunt. What a day. I thought, no question, we would spend our time here talking a bit about, oh, the economy, healthcare. You know, there's actually some very important fights happening right now in the uh, run-up to the midterms over pre-existing conditions and over you know who has the better health care plan for the future. The kinds of normal political discussions that one would expect in a uh, healthy republic of responsible citizens. But no, instead, we had quite a surprise today. Uh, quite a sur- I, I guess we would have to call this Elizabeth Warren's October surprise. The problem is it's kind of a an own goal or it's really a surprise to her how it all shook out. She has, as you know, for a long time claimed, this is the senator from Massachusetts, thought of as one of the most likely contenders for the presidency from the Democrat side. She has been for a long time uh, claiming, or she was for a long time claiming, Native American ancestry. And President Trump had pointed, as, as many others had as well, pointed to this and said, well, that doesn't really seem to be accurate. Uh, it seems that there might be some problems here with the notion of Elizabeth Warren as Native American because no tribe affiliation is known for her. And that is a thing, right? Native American tribes have tribal affiliations. It's taken uh, quite seriously. And there are, yes, that's right, federal government benefits that go to people of Native American and real Native American ancestry. But more to the point, in the academy, in colleges and universities, if you're Native American, people are like, oh, yeah, that's right. We, we really need you for our diversity purposes. And there are not that many Native Americans. And so it's a big leg up in both the admissions and hiring process at universities. Right. You all, you all know this. Right? So we're all on the same board, uh, the same page. We're all on board on the same page about that. So Trump had been saying for a while that if she was, in fact, uh, going to continue to claim this, he would give her, and this has been misreported in so many different sources, misreported in the media, 
he would give her a million dollars to a charity of her choice if she was able to show during the presidential debates, if she were the Democrat candidate, all this is being left out, by the way, by the media that's feverishly and fervently trying to cover for Elizabeth Warren. For some reason today, words are coming. It could be one word or the other. I'm not sure which I'm going to go with. That keeps happening to me today. But she released the information from her her test today, right? Uh, She has decided to let the world know that her long scrutinized and uh, many would say debunked Native American heritage is now back in the headlines because the analysis reported on by the Boston Globe, where the, quote, vast majority of Warren's family tree is European, it says that she has a Native American ancestry, quote, in the range of six to ten genera- <laughs> six to ten generations ago. So this is a, a really a, a non-scientific background uh, and heritage analysis of, of Elizabeth Warren. But six to ten generations ago, that would mean she is, get ready for it, between 164th and 1,124th Native American. And the Boston Globe initially did the math wrong on that one. Uh, so I'm I'm here to, to to fact check the Boston Globe's math among among many other things that we have to look at here. And this was a this was a truly jaw dropping moment today. This this whole phenomenon because this was not some analysis that was released against Elizabeth Warren's will. This wasn't uh, some surprise that a a competing campaign or somebody else uh, decided to drop and make it difficult for her to get elected. To the contrary, Elizabeth Warren took the position that this would bolster her claim. I don't know which is worse here, uh, that Elizabeth Warren is so delusional she thinks that this proves her case or so tone deaf as as to think that this will stop continued mockery of her for racial fraud. I mean, the the Hill, where I work, in response to this, uh, wrote that Elizabeth Warren DNA test shows, quote, strong evidence of Native American ancestor. But the the real headline here, if I may, if I may be so bold, is that there is strong evidence that she may have had a Native American ancestor a couple of hundred years ago. And since then, it has been one long, uninterrupted line of white people. In fact, if you look at the percentage that Elizabeth Warren is likely Native American compared to the general white American population, she is less than average in her connection to the Native American population. Meaning you and me listening to this, if you happen to be white and an American, and a lot of you are not, but if you happen to be white and American, it is likely you are more Native American than Elizabeth Warren. Uh, And yet, here we are. Here we are. She she must have thought that this was going to uh, give her some degree of of credibility. I, I don't know what she's thinking. I mean, ten generations ago, there's no realistically, there's no way to know if even the ten generations ago, if this is accurate. And then when you when you look at the Boston Globe analysis, and you start to read some of this, you realize that this is all it's all 
kind of hazy and nonsense anyway. Quote, the, this is from the Boston Globe piece. The analysis of Warren's DNA done by Carlos Bustamante, who is a professor at Stanford. Uh, really, he tracks DNA analysis via population migration. He, quote, concluded that the vast majority of Warren's ancestry is European, but the results strongly support the existence of an unadmixed Native American ancestor. Uh, six to ten generations ago. Uh, this, folks, if, if Elizabeth Warren, what this tells any normal, rational person is that if Elizabeth Warren is, in fact, able to call herself Native American, literally any white person in the country could credibly claim to be Native American for professional purposes, for the purposes of advancing oneself, and therefore, it would no longer even matter if you called yourself Native American. It would no longer make any difference if you considered yourself to be Native American. Because everybody's, everybody, we're all Native American by this standard. This is completely nuts. This is completely nuts. And the fact that Trump was able to get so in her head by calling her Pocahontas, as we know he does time and time again, the fact that Trump has managed to, to force this incredible uh, unforced error on, on her part is just astonishing. It really is. This is somebody that is getting in the top four or five of early support from the Democrats for running for president in most of the polls that I've seen. In fact, there's a big CNN poll out where I think she came in fourth, third or fourth place. Um, and And when you look at this, analysis when you look at what's going on here uh it is amazing to me that that anybody could read this and this is what's so crazy folks people in the media took this as evidence that she was right <laughs> i mean she's she's like one one thousandth native american maybe and it's not even really native american it's based on population migration from south of the border into the united states so she doesn't even, re it's not even clear that that this 1,000th or 164th or whatever it is, is truly from a Native American tribe. And yet people in the media were saying, see, she proved it. Trump is wrong. Trump needs to pay up now. What? What? Are they that desperate? I think there's a little panic right now on the left because they realize, oh my gosh, Elizabeth Warren has completely clowned herself here. I mean, just made a complete mess of things. And so there, the, the media has to go even further and they have to somehow pretend like, yeah, that's right, she proved things. That's crazy. She didn't prove anything and everyone knows it. But well, what else are they going to do? I mean, this is... Uh, this is telling us that, that, that pigs are flying, folks. I mean, this is complete detachment from reality by the libs. It is bonkers. And on this notion, even that, that she has any Native American ancestry, let me just give you, this is from this post, uh, this, this analysis in the, in the Boston Globe. Quote, detecting DNA for Native Americans is particularly tricky because there is an absence of Native American DNA available for comparison. This is in part because Native American leaders have asked tribal members not to participate in genetic databases. To make up for the dearth of Native American DNA, 
Bustamante, the guy doing this analysis, used samples from Mexico, Peru, and Colombia to stand in for Native American. That's because scientists believe that the groups Americans refer to as Native Americans came to this land via the Bering Strait about 12,000 years ago and settled in what's now America, but also migrated further south. His report explained the use of reference populations. Genetic material has been sequenced for was designed for maximal accuracy. Uh, so, folks, he's using South American DNA on this theory that, oh, well, because they all crossed the Bering Strait. I mean, this is crazy. This is crazy. He's not even using Native American DNA to look for DNA that crosses over with with Elizabeth Warren's background. Now, I, I, I there, there's more here. There's more here. There's more in the in the why it it matters, and you're hearing all these pathetic justifications about uh, Elizabeth Warren's background. Like, oh well, you know, she didn't use this to advance herself. Baloney! Come on, that's sitting bull. That's what you could call that. That's bull blank. When she proclaims that she's of Indian heritage because her mother said she has high cheekbones. That's her only evidence, that her mother said she had high cheekbones. We will take that little kit and say, but we have to do it gently because we're in the Me Too generation, so we have to be very gentle. Big thing that you're going to keep hearing about this Elizabeth Warren debacle, and so I just want to... I want to disabuse any libs of thinking that they can continue to get away with this, using this as as a means of uh, trying to, you know, excuse this whole situation. Now there's there there are two lines on this. One was, oh yeah, she proved him wrong, which is insane, right? She proved Trump wrong. No no serious thoughtful person can hold that position. That that's just not that's just not reality. And anybody who's saying otherwise is is fooling is absolutely fooling themselves and and, and intentionally so I, I would note um so that that that's part one but now they've moved to oh well she'd never this wasn't a big deal she didn't really use this in her career oh i'm sorry hold on a second this is courtesy of my friend benny johnson who did a great rundown here benny johnson over at uh the daily caller he has, quote, every time, this is on his Twitter account, every time Elizabeth Warren has lied about her Native American heritage. One, Elizabeth Warren self-identified as a Native American in the Association of American Law School's Directory of Law Professors in every edition printed between 1986 and 1995. Two, after becoming a professor at the University of Pennsylvania, Warren demanded the university change her faculty listed ethnicity from white to Native American. Three, Warren was identified by Harvard Law as a, quote, woman of color. Harvard promoted Warren's hire as expanding their campus diversity by hiring a woman with, quote, minority background onto their faculty. Four, Warren claimed that her mother and father had to elope due to her mom's obvious Indian heritage and the white bigotry of her father's family. Five, Warren submitted multiple recipes. (laughs) This is amazing. Multiple recipes for the Indian cookbook, Pow Wow Chow and signed her name Elizabeth Warren Cherokee. <laughs> That's right, folks. The next would be president of the United States, the Democrats, submitted recipes to Pow Wow Chow and claimed to be a Cherokee. Oh my gosh. Six, Warren used offensive, racially charged language to defend her claims of Native American heritage, declaring that her family had, quote, high cheekbones like, quote, all the Indians do. Seven, 
Warren has now claimed that she may have one 1,024th Indian DNA. This is equally problematic since DNA science proves the average white American has 0.18% Indian DNA, far more than Warren's. Oh my gosh. And then I'll skip one here. Uh, we'll go to nine. Warren's DNA did not report, did not measure actual Native American DNA. And 10, it is very difficult to argue that Warren did not commit racial fraud. Uh, that is that was all courtesy of Benny Johnson. But my favorite is the pow wow <laughs> pow wow chow. Oh man. And and I see from my friend David French over at National Review that she uh, from what we apparently from from what I see here from David, she plagiarized that recipe from a French chef. So that's right, folks. White as white can be Elizabeth Warren pretended to be Native American to submit a recipe to a Native American cookbook as a Cherokee, and she stole that recipe from a French chef. Oh, my gosh. You can't make this stuff up. You really can't. It, it's just it's hard to hard to come up with a way that this whole story can get crazier. It, it really is. It's hard to come up with a way that this could be even even more absurd and more bizarre. Uh, but sure enough, the, the libs, if they can find a way, they will. If there's anything that they can point to here that will distract or, you know, she says six to ten generations ago, she has a Native American ancestor. She doubled down on this. I mean, she thinks this is vindication. And now, you could say, Buck, how does, this, how does this really matter? Well, one, keep in mind that this week, there is a very serious uh, lawsuit that's on, not even lawsuit trial, I should say, that's underway where Harvard University has to defend itself against claims of racial bias against Asian-Americans. And if there's any justice, Harvard will lose. So the, the racial entitlement state is very real. And the left is supportive of it. And they have created this system that is going to always fall into self-contradiction. It just doesn't really make sense. You know, what What does it require? How do you get to claim a, a, uh, a status that affirmative action will help for college applications? What has to be in your background? We'll get into more of this, team. Stay with me. Mother was born in eastern Oklahoma. It had been Indian territory until just a few years earlier when it had become a state. My daddy always said he fell head over heels in love with my mother the first time he saw her. But my daddy's parents, the Herrings, were bitterly opposed to their marrying because my mother's family, the Reeds, was part Native American. This sort of discrimination was common at the time. So when my mama was 19 and my daddy was 20, they eloped. So sure enough, Warren put out a video today about all this stuff. Uh, Elizabeth Warren decided that the best thing for her to do would be to actually create some kind of a, a little propaganda film for herself where she w would have different members of her family and diff different people all involved in this. And I, I feel I feel like there should be some degree of of embarrassment here. Uh, there should be some, oh, my gosh, wh what am I doing? But then again, when you when you look at what's really happening on uh, across the board right now with with the media and with the efforts to take down Trump, anything is acceptable as long as it is for the cause. I mean, a anything is going to be considered okay here as long as it is uh, evidence or y useful in the anti-Trump cause. I just 
I, I've reached a kind of a new a new level here, a, a new degree of understanding of just where the media is taking all this stuff and, and what they're willing to do and what they're willing to put the American people through uh, in terms of propaganda and, and the lies. And there's no way that a normal person could have read that Boston Globe report today and come away from it with anything other than, wow, that is a massive mistake that Warren has made here. And she's clearly not Native American she never should have claimed to be Native American. There's nothing about her that justifies this notion of being Native American. And yet, you know, all I see right now on the on the front page of CNN, here's a perfect example. I see nothing in their main headlines. It's all about the Saudi guy who got, to, which we'll talk more about Jamal Khashoggi later, but nothing about that. You go down one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight stories down the CNN front page right now. And you get, quote, Warren's DNA never mattered to Trump. How, how is this Trump's fault? In what world is the, is the takeaway here that Trump isn't, uh, you know, accepting her DNA results or something? These people are insane. They really are. I, I, or they're, it's just impossible for them to be uh, embarrassed. Here's another. Here's another version. Huffington Post. Trump denies. This is their top story about this. Trump denies making charity pledge tied to Elizabeth Warren DNA test. Trump said, and was it was very specific. Trump said that if she makes it through the primaries and is the Democrat nominee, and then, and then she proves that she has Native American heritage, in that case, he'll give a million dollars to her favorite charity. So that's what he said, okay? He denies what they're saying he said, which is he would just give her a million dollars if she proves she's Native American. And that even is not the point because if she's Native American, everybody's Native American. And anyone who's trying to be honest, anybody who's looking at this from the perspective of, I would like to really present the facts and and get to the truth here, would automatically understand this. I mean, this is just pathetic. It is absolute nonsense that I'm seeing here from all these different all these different sources. The way that they're covering this, I mean, they're they're trying so hard to actually cover is the right word because they're really covering for Warren. And this because what they think happened today is uh, that what they think happened today is that she's no longer really going to be a serious contender for 2020. This is laughable. She's a clown. She's a joke. She's a joke. She should be, at least. Here's ABC News, which is supposed to be unbiased. Elizabeth Warren releases DNA results on Native American ancestry. Uh, Trump says, quote, who cares? That's their headline? That's the headline. See, this is a perfect case of media bias at work. They think that they're progressive great hope for 2020 is in jeopardy right now because of her own just boneheaded stupidity i mean this is just unthinkably dumb unthinkably dumb and they're going to do whatever they can to try and and lessen the damage to her they're, they're going to try to keep her brand keep her hopes for 2020 going and that means this that means all these different headlines where they're focused in on either Trump's response out of context or just that she released her DNA results. This is a this is an embarrassment. She's one one thousandth 
Native American, maybe? They think that proves that she's Native American? And, and now you take it to, well, what are we really going to do? What are really the results going to be here of this in the long term? And I would say this. If someone, if I, for example, I, I believe, and this is based on family members of mine who have gone through this process, I haven't done it, but I believe that I, I probably would have something around the, around the uh, lines of a 1% African DNA. And now you might say, Buck, I think everybody, yeah, maybe everybody, but I'm just talking about me. I'm speaking from the I perspective, okay? I think I've got about 1% African DNA. If I applied to college, now remember, that's not a that's not a federal criminal law issue or anything, right? I mean, people say, oh, but, you know, she, she didn't get any benefit. No, she was hired through affirmative action. That's why she did this, because it was a huge career boost all through her career. And it's a way of getting through the admissions process or getting through the hiring process much more easily. If I applied to Harvard, where she was a law professor, which is an embarrassment to Harvard, by the way, Harvard should be embarrassed. And I said that I was African-American. People would rightly think that that was disgusting. And I would be roundly uh, criticized for that. And, and I think that that's, that's fair. That's true. That's accurate. I'm not African-American. And, and it's a dishonest thing. And it would be a dishonest thing for me to claim that I was African-American. Okay. But why is that a terrible thing deserving of opprobrium? Why is that something that we can all agree the media would get so upset about? And Elizabeth Warren doing the exact same thing with Native American ancestry. Because I could claim 1% African and I'm American. So aren't I African-American? Elizabeth Warren doing the exact same thing they're willing to try to excuse. They're trying to find some way to tell us all that it's not really, that it either didn't matter or it's not true, or she is Native. The craziest is she is Native American. I mean, no, no serious person takes that, should take that perspective. But lots of media outlets are. I mean, I mean the biggest ones, folks. I mean the biggest ones. The same ones that, that treated the Kavanaugh allegations as fact without any evidence. Those same media outlets now, oh, surprise, surprise, are acting like, yeah, she's she's proven her case here. She's clearly she's clearly Native American. No, not nothing to nothing to point out beyond that. The media should be oh so deeply embarrassed all this, but as we know, they're not. They are running interference. They are activists. They have chosen a side here. And right now their gal is in some trouble. So what are they doing? Are they being uh, fact finders? Are they speaking truth to power? Are they doing the best analysis and reporting they can? No, of course not. They're throwing up smoke screens, even if they're flimsy, even if they know that they won't withstand scrutiny. They're doing everything that they can to give her either uh, a little bit of wiggle room to get out of this jam she's put herself in or just to, to delay the full force and fury of the news cycle against her and, and hope that something else comes up tomorrow that's what they're trying to do here that's what the uh, that's what the real plan is so i would just note that whenever trump calls them fake news and they get so upset maybe they should just stop being fake news and then he won't call them that anymore and then you also have just trump's instinctual political brilliance here by calling elizabeth warren out and not being afraid to use the word pocahontas or the name pocahontas not being afraid to go where people say, oh, you can't do that. He has exposed her for a pathetic phony and a fraud, an absolute fraud. Oh, 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 oh,
two minutes. Right, squad, squad's gonna be here. Antifa! You guys remember Antifa, right? That used to be a big thing. They used to get a lot of media attention, at least conservative media would sometimes talk about them. The left doesn't seem to want to talk about them. That was some audio that we played for you of the the latest Antifa incident out on the... uh, I don't do it as well as Trump. Trump's Antifa is better than my Antifa. Uh, But I, I don't do it as well as he does. Out on the west coast in uh, portland which strikes me as a strange place for there to be quite so much political extremism but but that's i suppose it is what it is right that is going on there uh but and you got these people with with this antifa group that were squaring off against some i think it's called a group for patriots in prayer or something I, i forget exactly even what the what the group was called um let me do a quick refresher on that one but you know you sure enough you had you had this uh, this violent incident where you have protesters and, and counter-protesters. Here we go. Bear spray and bloody brawls at Patriot, yeah, Patriot Prayer, Law and Order March in Portland. You have to be very careful, my friends, when you see the way that these kinds of stories are covered. You have to pay really, really close attention because there's a lot of uh, political hedging that goes on there's a lot of usage of kind of weasel words and what they leave in what they take out of these descriptions for example just because the aclu and uh, by the way i know nothing about this patriot prayer group i can't keep up with all the although a group that's called patriot prayer and has a lot of american flags sounds cool to me but i don't know they could be wackos i have no idea there are too many of these uh, little you know local political groups for me to know every single one of them but I just would I would caution you all that the ACLU is not a reliable source at all. Uh, I'm sorry, ACLU, Southern Poverty. Well, the, the true about the ACLU as well. So, yes, you keep that. Keep that in. The Southern Poverty Law Center is not a reliable source when it comes to deciding who is a a, a political extremist or a right wing extremist, a white nationalist, any any of those things. You cannot trust the Southern Poverty Law Center. It has become a massive fundraising organization and a left-wing, really a left-wing hit group in a lot of cases. I mean, any group that has to pay a multi-million dollar settlement to Majid Nawaz uh, for being an anti-Muslim extremist when he's a Muslim is a group that you probably want to take with a grain of salt whenever it comes to these uh, these different demonstrations and, and how they're reporting on who's there and what's going on. So that's that's one part of it. But then there's the other, which is just this idea that it is a normal thing to want to show up and do these counter protests and they call them counter protests but when people show up to a demonstration right and they're all wearing black and they have gas masks and shields and 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 homemade weapons they're not showing up because they want to engage in a battle of ideas they want to engage in a battle they want to fight people and the fact that they showed up with bear spray and these other things tells you all that you need to know. Uh, but I just think it's so interesting which media outlets will and will not cover this. This makes for really compelling footage. 
This is a story that you'd think they'd want to tell. You have uh, almost entirely white, by the way, Antifa radicals who are attacking this this Patriot prayer group. By the way, they're called a law and order group, or rather they wanted to march for law and order. I, I've got to, I've got to wonder, is, is that just a, is that a euphemism? Are they actually white nationals? I, I mean, I have no idea. And I know that I can't trust, um, I, I can't trust the media to, to produce honest assessments of this and tell us what really happened. For example, just that they accept that there are counter protesters and that, you know, the counter protesters just like showed up and like they didn't want any problems, man. But, you know, there were problems. Well, maybe it's because they showed up and the whole purpose of their presence was to ignite some kind of a confrontation. Right. These guys are like, hey, man, like I dressed in all black because they just want to be friends and want to hang out. You know, want to talk to you about politics. And no, they're showing up and they're screaming about fascism and Trump being a Nazi and they want to they want to hit people and they want to attack people and they want to do these little home videos of this because these are radical they're political radicals and you know you could argue that the only thing that really separates them from a domestic terrorist organization is that to date Antifa has put a limit on the degree of their violence right they have not engaged in to my knowledge well I might be forgetting something lethal action against them yet but they have engaged in violent action and keep in mind that that violent action, if you have a very different, very different political circumstances, that could escalate. It could escalate rather rapidly. And all of a sudden, a group that has eschewed lethality in the past when it comes to its violence may, may be in a position where they feel like that is open to them. And in fact, that's the pathway that they take. So I, I would just note that that's something that that I want everyone to be aware of here that just because Antifa has not been to this point a group that is engaged in straight up terrorism it used to be that the anarchists who remind me a lot of Antifa uh, the anarchists in this country were the real terrorists I mean the, the, the sort of when I mean real terrorists I mean they were the primary terror threat they were the ones who were assassinating presidents trying to blow up the stock exchange that's right it was anarchists not Islamic radicals there was another incident, by the way. I, I know I would get hit if I didn't bring this one up. There was another incident on uh, Friday in New York City, actually right in the neighborhood, I think, where I grew up. In fact, when I looked at the videos, I could tell, even though the videos didn't show you much, what street I think they were on when they had this fight. Uh, there was this this group, that, the Proud Boys, and I've never really understood uh who they are or, or what what they are I, I I've heard that they have they have some I should actually probably just call Gavin McInnes and ask him and the Metropolitan Republican Club invited the Proud Boys uh, which is called a quote right-wing fraternal organization in this uh in this one piece I'm reading and there were two or three counter protesters that were beat up now I don't know I wasn't there and I haven't seen much I've only seen a little bit of footage but were these counter-protesters who were just there to have a discussion? I, I think if you show up, if you think that these are right-wing radicals, which obviously the counter-protesters do, and you show up at one of their events, are, are you planning to antagonize them and try to incite a confrontation? Or you really just want to share your thoughts? Do they think that they're going to scare the Proud Boys? I mean, this is, this is where you have to ask the question, what are they really doing there? With all the recent news about online security breaches, it's hard not to worry about where my data goes. Making an online purchase or simply accessing your email could put your private information at risk. You're being tracked online by social media sites, marketing companies, and your mobile or internet provider. 
Not only can they record your browsing history, but they often sell it to other corporations who want to profit from your information. That's why I decided to take my privacy back by using ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN has easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of my computer, phone, and tablet. And turning on ExpressVPN protection only takes one click. Protect yourself with ExpressVPN for less than $7 a month. And protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash buck. That's expressvpn.com slash buck for three months free with a one-year package. Again, visit expressvpn.com slash buck to learn more. The other thing I've really learned is I never knew how dishonest the media was. I, I, I really mean it. I'm not saying that as a soundbite. I never I, I can, knew how I'm, dishonest. I'm going to change the subject again. Well, no, but even the way you asked me a question, like about separation. Yeah. When I say Obama did it, you don't want to talk about no, it. No. When I say I did your, it, let's make a big deal. I'm going to run your answer, but you did it four times. I'm so. just telling you that you treated me much differently on the subject. I disagree, but I don't want to have that fight with you. Hey, it's right, okay. have another fight with you. Leslie, okay. it's okay. In the meantime, right. I'm president, and, and you're not. And we're having fun, right? And oh, right. for sure. The first lady. Yes. Melania. She said that there are still people in the White House that she doesn't trust and that you shouldn't trust. I feel the same way. I don't trust everybody in the White House. I'll be honest with you. What about General Mattis? Is he going to leave? Well, I don't know. He hasn't told me that. You I have a very good relationship leave? with him. It could be that he is. I think he's sort of a Democrat, if you want to know the truth. But General Mattis is a good guy. We get along very well. He may leave. I mean, at some point, Everybody leaves. Everybody. People leave. That's Washington. Quite an interview over the weekend on uh, 60 Minutes. Trump just laying it down. I love it. I love it when Trump goes into the lion's den with some of these libs. And they think they're going to trip him up. And they think they're going to get him. And, and they think, oh, yeah, that's right. I'll, I'll find some way to make him look ridiculous and I'll get this big moment out of it. And he's just like, look, what are you doing here? Why are you showing up and coming in with such a clear agenda? We know what all the questions are going to be before and we know what positions they're going to take on this stuff. So, and we find ourselves watching this and, and just waiting for the moment when Trump decides, you know what, I'm just going to say it like it is. And it's ama- it's an amazing thing. I really do enjoy it every time. Every time Trump just lets it rip and, and Trumpifies the whole thing. Uh, and this this interview with 60 Minutes over the weekend was was quite an example of that where he says, you know, I'm the president and you're not to her. That's a great, that's a great moment. Because he's just saying, look, you know, back off me. She got on him on the whole Kim Jong-un thing. Oh, he's saying, look, I was I was really just sort of speaking. I was kind of kidding about it. I mean, they they pretend not to understand what Trump is trying to say when he says things. They're actually not. The, the media is not as dumb. I mean, they're not as smart as they think they are, but they're also not as dumb as they want us to believe they are on these things. There's there's just no no way around it. They would rather just do the whole pearl clutching. Oh, my gosh. Did you hear the latest thing that Trump said? It's so horrifying. Instead of addressing what's really going on and what the real backstory is to whatever comment he's making or whatever policy he is discussing. Um, the only real surprise I had was that a comment he made about whether Mattis, General Mattis, is is sort of a Democrat. 
and said that uh, that he may leave. I, I have to wonder what that's all about. I wonder what's really being said there. And this is where I, I could get myself into a little bit of trouble with some of you on this one, but I have always had a... Now, look, Mattis has an impeccable reputation. I've said it a million times. He's a general's general. All that still is true. Uh, and maybe, maybe Trump was just speaking offhand. Maybe he was just kind of messing around. I have no idea. I have no idea. But I will say this. In my experience, and I mean some of my personal experience, the generals who are well, who are really well thought of by the media tend to be people who, one, cultivate a certain persona with the media, and two, also are uh, a, a little more, shall we say, willing to take a, a point of view that would be well-received by academia and the media on a whole bunch of things. You know, and I, I've noticed this before. Generals start to get very political and generals like to be loved. Is this true of Mattis? I have no idea. I'm just saying that I'm aware of this as a phenomenon uh, that, for example, a lot of the stuff that came out about General Petraeus, I was not surprised by at all because I had known for a long time that he was a, a, a guy who was seeking out the media and very much trying for his own purposes to to create this narrative of you know Petraeus as the the greatest military mind of his generation i would i would just point out that before even uh being brought low by you know, the extramarital affair and the woman and the classified information that he didn't take you know all the stuff that you already know about and he had to plead guilty and pleaded guilty uh you know he he was credited with fixing iraq which yes the surge worked but it was really our 150,000 troops and people that were on the front lines that fixed Iraq, but his strategy uh, was successful there, but there were some very important ingredients that were in place for that strategy to work. I would note that the strategy that he tried in Afghanistan did not work, was not working, and was never going to work, and he was not really willing to hear about how that was the case. So while I think on the one hand, you know, he gets all this credit for Iraq, well, if he gets all this credit for Iraq, we also have to look in see the situation in Afghanistan, understand that he's not, that Petraeus was not this uh, man beyond reproach when it came to his strategy. Well, certainly not beyond reproach, period, but also when it came to his strategy. So that's that's my way of saying I need to do a little more, I need to do a little more analysis of what's going on here with uh, with that Mattis comment. That, that caught me off guard because I've heard so much positive stuff about Mattis for so long and maybe he just rubbed the president the wrong way recently and he just wanted to call him a Democrat. I also think it's kind of funny that the president uses calling somebody a Democrat as kind of a a little sly, uh, you know, a little bit of a smackdown. You know, he's like, yeah, guy's kind of a Democrat. You know, it's like when I say in my uh, in my media life, I'm like, yeah, that guy's OK. He's kind of a communist. So Trump says, hey, he's kind of a Democrat. He also said, as you know, that. Trump said that he does not trust everybody in the White House. And this is this falls into that that category of, oh, my gosh, the palace intrigue here. You know, we, we, we need to we need to make sure that we run all these stories about how Trump can't trust the people around him. And there's all this stuff about how Trump is, you know, unable to manage. And he's bringing in all these people that don't have the right requirements and backgrounds and skills and everything else. They love these White House dysfunction stories and anything that plays into that, we tend to hear a lot about, right? Uh, so 
Then I take a step back and I say, hold on a minute. Given what we know about all the different leaks and all the people that are in the White House, including Republicans who are holdovers from the Bush, I shouldn't say from the Bush administration, but from the Bush era of the Republican Party, people that are not on board with Trump at all. We know that there's somebody right now who wrote, if you if you believe the New York Times, and I don't take that for granted, but if you believe the New York Times, there is a senior White House administration official right now who wrote an op-ed effectively saying that we are working against the commander in chief behind the scenes to thwart his decision making, to act like he's not really the president and to go to these go to these extreme lengths because we know what's best for the country. We will undermine the express will of the American people through their elections because we know better. And that's really the position. That's really what they're that's really what they're they're saying about this. And this guy wrote this editorial. We never found, by the way, the anon editorialist. We never found out who this guy was, the anonymous editorial writer. But then of course Trump, of course Trump shouldn't trust everybody in his White House. Of course he'd be silly to do that. And that's also why I give him more leeway than I would in other circumstances. And maybe you can say that's a little bit of, you know, self-justifying here or that's convenient, not self-justifying. But I understand why he wants to have family members around because he feels like at least he can trust them. And if you're Trump and you've seen what's gone on with a lot of not just the opposition, but the people that are ostensibly supposed to be on your side of the fence, people who are supposed to be Republicans helping you out, you know, your your battle buddies, so to speak. And how many of them have become turncoats on him? How many Republicans have we seen, including people with some pretty decent recognition within party circles? I mean, you talk about like Bill Kristol, the Weekly Standard, I mean, conservatives, right wingers, whatever you want to call them that have openly said, yeah, I'm actually just not even opposing Trump anymore. I'm a Democrat. In that kind of an environment, which is the environment President Trump is in, I think it would be insane for the president to say, yeah, I trust everybody in the White House. Of course he doesn't trust everyone in the White House. This reminds me of some of the politicians that I've I've been able to interview in the last few months. And I love when they do the, you know, okay, off the record. And I'm like, you're not telling me anything that's really... Some of them, you know, they're not telling you anything that's really off the record. What they're doing is saying off the record to create the facade of, you know, I'm really giving you some access and insight here and I'm trying to build this rapport. And then they say things that if I were to violate off the record, which I never would, but if I were to violate off the record, it would make them look even better. You know, they're like, off the record, I volunteered at a soup kitchen last weekend and saved some puppies from a burning building. Like, is that really, did that did that really have to be off the record, Senator so-and-so? I guess so. Oh, and then, you know, the the one, the really contentious exchange, the really contentious exchange that Trump had here with Leslie Stahl in this interview uh, had to do with immigration, because I think that is the one area where the left and the uh, the media allies that they have have felt like they've been in the strongest position uh, since the summer to just just pound Trump on this. And what I think is so so fascinating here is that, uh, you know, Stahl did the same thing they always do. Well, it's your policy. It's your policy to separate parents from children at the border. You did it. It's on you. It's your fault. And Trump says, well, no, it's the law. And I don't think that they even, I don't think his media critics even really understand that 
to say that it's the law is to say that it's actually the Congress that does bear some of, if not the lion's share of the responsibility for this whole situation, that 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 the, the Congress is either inept or cowardly or for whatever reason, just unwilling to do what they're supposed to do in these circumstances, which is to find a way to adjust a law that is a bad law or to repeal it entirely. Is it really the president's role? I mean, th- this is how much damage I think Obama did to the rule of law as a concept. It became normal during the Obama administration for him when he felt frustrated with Congress. Remember, I'm going to go around Congress. I don't like a list of Congress. I don't like what they do. I don't like what they say. Uh, he would go around them and do this whole executive order routine, which was an abuse of executive orders because what he was just doing was usurping the legislative branch's authority and pretending the laws were what he wanted them to be and saying, well, it's just about enforcement. It's not just about enforcement when you don't enforce something at all. It's not just about enforcement when you exempt an entire class of people that are explicitly not exempted by Congress. And I, I think that's part of this that just immediately the the, the press puts aside, pu- pushes aside. And they really assumed, I mean, they really thought that they would uh, they would be in a place where Trump and the Republicans would just get hammered on immigration. They would be uh, they would be just crushed because of what had been going on at the border. And I think that they miscalculated that for a lot of Americans, enough is enough. They don't really want to keep being told that, you know, immigrants uh, do jobs. We're talking about illegals now, folks, not immigrants. Illegal immigrants do the jobs Americans won't do, that illegal immigrants are nothing but a net positive for the economy. And they would like to have some reestablishment of the rule of law when it comes to the border. And I know that Trump hasn't built a wall yet, and there's a lot of stuff that remains uh, remains to be done. And I have a lot of, of concerns whether it will even happen, especially if the Democrats take the House. But on this, on this issue of the border, you can tell Leslie Stahl, oh, she just wants to, oh, the parents being separated from their children. It happened under Obama. It's a law that's still on the books. It was the law when Obama was in office. And oh, by the way, the people that were getting separated from their children at the border were overwhelmingly explicitly trying to break U.S. law. They were being picked up after crossing illegally, then claiming asylum. And this is after they had essentially ignored the laws of this country because they think that, you know, they don't have to pay any attention to it. You know, if there's not going to be any consequences at all for that, we should ask the question, why? I think that's fair. There's something really terrible and disgusting about that, if that were the case. So we're going to have to see. We're going to get to the bottom of it, and there will be severe punishment. What happened to journalist Jamal Khashoggi? The entire world seems absolutely set on trying to get an answer to that question. What what, what happened to this man? How, how was it that he was able to uh, disappear from the Turkish consulate uh, in, in, in Istanbul, or rather from a, a consulate, the Saudi consulate in Istanbul. And now we have this very real looming international relations crisis on our hands. Uh, how, did we, how did we get to this point? How did we find ourselves in this situation where we have to now deal with this? You know, the, the president has raised this possibility of rogue killers, because the president, I'm sure, he's 
said that he spoke to uh, King Salman behind the scenes. Keep in mind, the king in Saudi Arabia is a pretty, uh, what's the word, infirm old man at this point. It's really uh, MBS, uh, Mohammed bin Salman, who is the 33-year-old crown prince. He's the guy who runs stuff. And he's the one who has done this whole charm offensive in this country and big business and big media and big government all being buddy-buddy with MBS. So that's why this has sent such a shockwave through the elite communities. The the Davos set is a little, oh my gosh, what will we do now? We can't we can't have the Saudis funding trips for us anymore. Uh, and and there's there's the reality of what this tells us of Saudi Arabia, which is interesting, and, and I'll get to that. Um and, and there's also the pending, probably will be the case at some point when you watch this sh- when you listen, not watch, when you listen to this show, uh, we'll have confirmation of it. But as of right now, it sounds like They are planning to say that this was a rogue element within the Saudi government. That's the latest reporting here. And the plan is for the Saudi government to throw some intelligence official under the bus. I've also seen early reports that it may be uh, it may be the Saudi government's position that an intelligence official decided to interrogate and it went over the line. Um, But the Saudis can't hide anymore that this guy was killed, was killed in their custody. They're calling, quote, an interrogation that went wrong. That's that's the latest on this. So it doesn't really seem like uh, there's any room for the Saudis to keep dissembling on this. They're they're caught. The Saudis are in a jam here, um, as they should be. The Saudi regime is a terrible and uh, and disgusting government. But we're not really often told that because they have a tremendous amount of sway, even in our own media. They own a lot of shares and a lot of very important media companies. But here's what you see the pivot. The pivot that's going to happen, it's already started to happen, is you have this issue of a repressive, totalitarian Muslim. How often do you hear about that? A Muslim-majority nation, not just a Muslim-majority nation, an entirely Muslim nation. The most Muslim country by percentage, I believe, in the world. I mean, maybe Somalia. I mean, there are a couple other countries that are right up there, but the Saudis do not allow non-Muslims to be, you know, citizens of the peninsula. I mean, the Saudis are, they do not allow Christian worship or ceremonies or houses of worship to be, uh, to even be built on, on Saudi land. So this is a, a hyper-Islamist government, which you don't ever hear, a hyper-Islamist regime. Um, and I talked to you a little bit about that <laughs> holy but unholy alliance between the Wahhabis, uh, the you know, Salafist fundamentalist Islam and this Bedouin tribe, uh, the House of Saud, that is the Saudi regime, the Saudi royal family. So, you know, th- there's all this complexity on the issue, but but here's what, what's happening right now. This is going to quickly become a, a crisis that be, that is much more about what Trump does for our media than what it really means. I'm already hearing, you know, because Trump cozies up with dictators. That's why this happens. This is the line. You hear this all the time. Trump is so, is coddles dictators. Here's what I want to say to anybody in response to that, because you'll hear this all over the place, the media in the next few days. I don't think it's possible to coddle dictators more than Obama did. Uh, I, I think it would be very hard. You'd have to work really hard to do so because Obama made some, very clear errors in dealing with authoritarians and strongmen. For one is his word didn't mean anything when it came to consequences. 
The erasing of the red line in Syria led to a free-for-all by the Assad regime, but also by the Russians that were backing up the Assad regime, by the Iranians who send in troops into Syria. Obama's unwillingness to enforce a red line in Syria had tremendous consequences. Now, you can say that he wasn't really coddling that dictator, but he certainly made it a lot easier for him. Obama and the left, along with him, do coddle all Marxist revolutionary style dictators in, in, in the Western Hemisphere. They did coddle Fidel Castro's Cuba. Uh, the communist Cuba was receiving all kinds of uh, favorable treatment under the Obama administration, and, and no punishments really doled out, no carrot and stick, just carrots when the Obama administration was dealing with them. And the same thing could be said of Venezuela, where, yes, Obama was not increasingly over time was less favorable toward the regime of first Chavez and then Maduro. But, uh, you know, Obama had a soft spot for these Marxist revolutionary types. No question. No question. And then, of course, the mullahs in Tehran. You know, you want to talk about a soft spot. How about giving them a deal that effectively prevents any Israeli or other allied military action against the Iranian nuclear program and lets them get wealthy and lets them keep their nuclear program until they decide that they want to have a breakout. And at that point, it's too late and they'd have too much money and we're not going to be able to stop them. Right? You know, you, you look at all these things, you look at all of these issues and you think to yourself, hold on a second. What is how do I even hear this line? What is this line about how Trump is coddling dictators? He's too favorable toward dictators when when the reality, as we see it, is, oh, you mean nothing Trump does will ever quiet these critics. Nothing Trump could ever say will ever get them to stop claiming that he is in the pocket of, uh, of of either Putin or Kim Jong-un. I mean, he said it in the interview over the weekend with Leslie Stahl. She goes, well, you said you're, you said you're in love with Kim Jong-un. He goes, look, I'm, I mean, I'm just, I'm talking here. You know, I'm trying to, I'm saying we've got a good rapport. You know, what do you want me to say? You're not going to get anywhere with saying he's a, a, a filthy, evil, murdering, you know, piece of human garbage. I mean, you can't say that about Kim Jong-un. I mean, that's, I can say it, you can say it, but if you're going to then sit down with the guy and try to get a major diplomatic breakthrough, I think you're probably going about it the wrong way, right? I think that's probably not a smart decision to make. But they try to goad Trump into this. They try to use it. It's just all partisan. It's just all, oh, Trump is bad on this issue once again. Somehow the Saudis, who have been a repressive, intolerant regime for as long as they've existed, somehow the Saudis killing a dissident in an, a, in the consulate in Istanbul is Trump's fault. It's always Trump's fault. Everything comes back to Trump for these people. You know, oh, it's because of the, the tone set by the Trump administration. No, maybe it's just because the Saudis are repressive and the regime thinks it can get away with anything because it has gotten away with pretty much anything for a very long time. Maybe they think that we need them too much as a counterbalance to Iran for us to do anything real to stop them. Now, th- these are all These are all very real things to keep in mind here and you know trump i just, I just gotta say it's it's all about how he's not doing enough how trump's a bad guy boo-hoo trump is too too friendly with dictators and all this and it's just nonsense it's just nonsense what should he do in response here's what i'll tell you he shouldn't do he shouldn't do anything that puts a single u.s troop in harm's way over this and i mean even up to and including the fact that the saudis can you know open up the spigots for funding to Sunni extremist groups throughout the Middle East and around the world? 
You know, we, we don't want to make such a big deal out of this that all of a sudden our people start to suffer consequences abroad. It's just not worth it to the American people. I know we're not allowed to say this now because journalists are all, oh, a journalist, something terrible happened to journalists. It's really bad. I, I, I agree wholeheartedly on that. It's immoral. It's wrong. But I, I don't think that the entirety of U.S. foreign policy vis-a-vis Saudi, uh, Saudi Arabia and therefore the broader Middle East along with it should turn entirely on what happened with this guy. Not an American citizen. It's not on our soil. They're trying to make it a much bigger problem, make it seem like a much bigger problem for us than it is. You know, it's, it's more of a general moral problem, right? But it's not America's problem. But they want to make it seem like it's America's problem because in doing so, then they'll be in a position to say, Trump hasn't done enough here. Trump hasn't taken enough action. Trump is a problem when it comes to this. Uh, so once again, it all comes back to bashing Trump. Khashoggi is killed in a consulate in Istanbul. And our media wants to say that Trump is the problem. We'll be right back. What role, if any, did you play in criticizing the character of the women who have accused Bill of sexual misconduct? None. No role? No role. In retrospect, do you think Bill should have resigned in the wake of the Monica Lewinsky scandal? Absolutely not. It wasn't an abuse of power? No. No. There are people who look at the incidents of the 90s and they say a president of the United States cannot have a consensual relationship with an intern. The power imbalance is too great. Who was an adult. But let me ask you this. Where's the investigation of the current incumbent against whom numerous allegations have been made and which he dismisses, denies, and ridicules? That's right. She had nothing to do with anything, you see. It was only her husband who was a serial abuser of women who was credibly accused of sexual assault by women on the record with full facts and stories ready to go. Media didn't want to cover that, you see. This is where I I just, I take a moment because I want to step back and make sure we all are on the same page when it comes to the narrative of the moment here. See, the narrative of the moment from the left is that, oh, what Bill Clinton did then he would never be able to do now. You see, it's different because of this Me Too movement. It's different now. Bill Clinton's, uh, what would we call them? What, what does the left like to call them? His, his personal failings, very calm way of saying Bill Clinton being a predator. Yeah, that's right, I was a predator. I was just, you know, I just couldn't help myself. And I just, you know, I mean, I know Kanye said a curse word in the Oval Office, but I did much, much worse stuff in the Oval Office. You know, Bill Clinton's disgrace uh, is something that the left was not just, they didn't just turn a blind eye to it. They aggressively, aggressively, and with all they could muster, with all the help they could get in the media. And, you know, people like Stephanopoulos. I mean, Stephanopoulos was part of the Clinton machinery, for example. And he is treated with, with definitely, he's a $100 million man now at ABC. A news anchor that has to, I mean, who decides to pay him that much money? It's... It's, a, it's an astonishing thing. It really is. Oh, without Stephanopoulos, who would watch these shows? Everybody would watch these shows. These are platforms. Whoever they put in these roles is going to get a certain amount of viewership. But he seems to get excused from being a part of the Clinton machinery. And Hillary, who just had her clearance taken away, I want it back! I mean, Hillary just was finally told, you don't get to have a security clearance anymore. 
for serial and flagrant violations of national security protocol for anybody who has a clearance. She was just told that now. She still hasn't still hasn't achieved even a, a modicum of honesty. You could say to borrow from Obama, not a smidgen, not a smidgen of honesty. She doesn't have a smidgen of honesty. She's such a liar. And she knows that she, well, she still thinks that she has a, a political future. And it would be a problem for her. The left has gone so all in on this whole Me Too movement. They've made this such a, a prominent part of uh, what, what the left stands for. Now, it, it's the m- movement of the moment, right? We, we've had Black Lives Matter. We've had Occupy Wall Street. We've had these different uh, political sort of quasi-revolutionary leftist movements in this country. And right now it's the Me Too movement. It will change. They will move to some other intellectual fad or fashion in, in some time. Just Just wait for it. But in the meantime, they have to make sure that they don't have the weaponization of some of these things occurring back on them. Like They don't want to score any own goals here with the Me Too movement and that the enablers, and I've always felt that the enablers in this whole process were getting off far too easy. You know, the people, men and women around someone like a Harvey Weinstein, the people, men and women around someone like uh, Les Moonves, you know, those who were necessary in this whole process of predation they they don't get in trouble they don't really get called out and hillary was the ultimate in that not only did she stand by her man of course as we know for the most obvious and uh, self-interested political reasons imaginable but she went on the attack against these women and whenever i hear people say things like don't they have a right to be believed i always want to respond well did the women that hillary Demeaned. I mean, did, did the women that were completely attacked verbally in the media down to their very character, they were all considered to be fighters for the cause at the time. And there has been no accountability for that whatsoever. And there's no accountability to the state for Hillary. When was she held accountable for the fact that she was essential in her husband's not just denials, but continued flagrant violations of the public trust and and of the law i mean bill clinton was accused of rape folks rape not just you know and i really don't like and this happens you know this usage of the term sexual assault and sexual harassment being conflated with sexual assault and all of a sudden people are like well you know both sides have their problems you've got clarence thomas on one side bill clinton on the other no clarence thomas was accused and i don't think particularly credibly accused of saying some inappropriate stuff in the office. I mean, in a worst case basis, Clarence Thomas should have been pulled aside by HR and told, hey, you know, knock that off or there's going to be professional consequences. That's if he did it. I don't even think he did it. Bill Clinton could have spent decades in prison for what he did. The allegations against Bill Clinton were of, of rape by force. I mean, that's that's going to send you to prison for a very long time. I mean, your, your life is essentially over. And he went on to be the president of the United States for eight years. So, yes, I mean, Hillary coming out now and saying that she wasn't a part of any of this. She, she lies now with such fluidity and so shamelessly. I would tell you all, if you if you want to have a, a quick and fun read, go back and read Christopher Hitchens' No One Left to Lie To. Hitchens was one of these. He was a leftist in the 90s and was still a really a, a socialist, kind of a reformed socialist all the way to the very end and clearly an atheist. 
But he was somebody who just couldn't stomach the lies of the Clintons and the big lies. I mean, the very obvious, uh, in-your-face, self-interested lying of the Clintons. And he wrote a book called No One Left to Lie To. And he just goes through how the Clintons would just lie about stuff. Snippy.com, friends. Remember that name. This is a new social media site where you can post, you can write, you can follow me, you can follow each other exchange information, do whatever you can do on your run-of-the-mill social media site, except snippy.com does not have any of the left-wing conversational health nonsense going on, okay? There's no bias. There's no effort to try and steer the conversation one direction. If you are sick of shadow banning, if you're sick of things not popping up in your feed on Facebook or wherever, you want to try snippy.com. It's also a place, by the way, where conservatives can have a real voice and grow their movement and not have to worry about getting trashed by the left-wing administrators. Snippy.com, that's S-N-I-P-P-Y.com. Totally free to join, free to post. Just sign up, give it a shot, team. S-N-I-P-P-Y.com. This is the most transparent, accountable president Uh, perhaps we've ever seen, definitely in modern times, he doesn't fear the media. He uses the media as a platform, one of many platforms by which to communicate his message. He also has said that he thought after he got elected, the press would become more fair, would sort of dial it back a little bit and try to at least cover the policies, cover the great success and progress. So this president and his administration has had to work a little bit harder, a little bit smarter, if you will, to make sure that Americans know exactly what is happening, even if they don't hear enough of it. I mean, can we just cut all the nonsense here? I appreciate that Kellyanne Conway has to, she has to deal with this press all the time, right? So she has to speak to them with a certain a certain degree of decorum, and she does that. But, you know, Stelter there was, the president of the United States, you know, sometimes he doesn't talk to the press, and then when he does talk to the press, he's putting all this disinformation in the air. The fact that Brian Stelter has a show at CNN is all, all you have to know about CNN. That's all you have to know about that place. Who, who, who sees Brian Stelter and goes, yeah, give that guy a cable news show. Excuse me, but uh, sometimes I like to wear my New Balance sneakers with my ill-fitting suit, and then I like to call out whether is there really a bias in the media. I don't know. I'm still trying to figure it out. Who thought that that was a good idea? I, I don't know. Maybe Zucker. Apparently, very powerful people at CNN were of the impression that this was a guy who really needed a show. Ameri- America needs to hear from Stelter. Um, of course, I, I find that uh, to be shockingly uh, a shockingly ill-advised decision, but that's that's me. What can I say? But you'll notice the 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 continued theme here is that whatever Trump does, they are opposed to it. They say that Trump wasn't accessible enough to the press, and they complained about it. In fact, it was probably a threat to democracy. They were so concerned about it. And then when you have Trump being more accessible, when you have more uh, action, more activity involving Trump and the press, the response becomes, well, he's not, he's not, uh, you know, he's not telling the information that we want him to. He's not sharing the information that we would if we got to tell the president what to say. So that's right, no matter what he does, no matter what he does, they find this whole situation with the president to be unacceptable. They really do. Um, and and that's that brings me to what, what happened with NBC over the weekend. I mean, this was truly 
astonishing stuff, what happened with NBC. I mean, th- this was really next level. Y- you know, they there was this speech that Trump gave, and he said something about, he said, uh, he was trying to compare General Grant and General Lee. And the truth is that he was obviously trying to make this comparison between Grant and Lee. But the way NBC News reported it initially, they said Robert E. Lee was a great general calling the Confederate leader incredible. I mean, they just went with the usual Trump likes the Confederacy. Trump is an evil racist. Trump is this really bad guy because they figure two. Well, I think there's two parts of this. One is that they understand that their audience wants to hear that. And so they're giving their audience what they want, which is that's maybe the biggest part of it, although it's tough. You could argue this either way. And the other is that they really believe that this president is so racist and is such a bad guy, is so disreputable and so disgraceful that they find it completely within the realm of of not just possibility, but they find it likely that the president of the United States would just go off and start praising a Confederate leader, as he as they're saying he did in this uh, Ohio rally over the weekend. Uh, and then it, it took them two days. I mean, this was astonishing. It took them two days, October 12th. The correction posted on October 14th. Here's the NBC News correction. An earlier tweet misidentified the general President Trump described as incredible at a rally in Ohio. It was General Ulysses Grant, not Robert E. Lee. An attached video clip lacked the full context for Trump's remark. Here's the full clip. Now, this is where you have to start playing the game of probability. Is it likely that all of these major media corrections could be due to good faith error in covering the president? Or is it more likely that what we see happening here is a Trump derangement syndrome as it plays out in the media in front of all of us all the time. Which of those things is the more likely scenario? I mean, I I think you really do have to ask the question. And the answer is obvious. The press is, dare I say, on a jihad against the president of the United States. They will take any opportunity to try to tear him down and try to add one more data point into the narrative that he is a racist, that he's evil, that he's a bad guy. And this is also compounded by the incentive structure that we have in in the media in general right now, where the initial lie gets 20,000 retweets or, you know, 100,000 retweets, and then the correction gets 200. And so you get the benefit of, of all that traffic, of all that attention, because now in the digital era of media, you really are measuring it down very precisely. You know, how many people read this? How many people are going to your site? How many people saw this? You get all the upside and your audience gets what they want. And then if you have to correct it, okay, well, it turns out, you know, that was a misfire. But your audience is never mad at you for bashing Trump with a correction. I mean, this audience would be. But if you're NBC, if you're MSNBC, if you're CNN, if you're any of those networks, audience doesn't turn on you for that. They understand what you're trying to do. They know that you have bigger things in mind. They know that you have, uh, you know, other things that you're trying to do. You're trying to take down the president of the United States. That's going to be a difficult thing, difficult thing to do. And you're going to, you're going to have some misses if you're doing that. Right. So that's, that's just, it's just more of the medium malpractice that we keep seeing. And that's why when the president calls them fake news, when he says things like, you know, they, they are fake news and they get so upset, 
if they want him to stop calling them fake news, maybe they should stop being fake news. You know, if they would like the president of the United States to no longer uh, push back on them for their obvious partisan smears and their partisan campaigns, well, then my recommendation to them would be that, uh, you know, he shouldn't, that they shouldn't act in this way. By the way, you know, do you think any of them will, will apologize when Beto O'Rourke loses by 10 or 11 points, which he's going to? Uh, do you think any of the pollsters and any of the media people that a month ago were saying, it's going to be a really close race with Beto and Ted Cruz, they're going to come out and say mea culpa? I don't think so. Because they're, they're activists. Once you understand that they're activists, then you realize that there's none of this is even a little bit surprising anymore. None of this is, is a shock. And and then, you know, then you can at least anticipate their next move. By the way, the I mean, the Leslie Stahl interview uh, was was great because first of all, I, I find her whole her whole demeanor. She's just so serious and so much gravitas. Mr. President, I'm doing this very professional interview. Right? I mean, you know, at a certain point you think to yourself, can you just ask a question like a normal person? Do you have to do this very affected 60 minutes? I'm so in-depth here. Oh, I'm just going so in-depth on the issue. I mean, I loved it when he said, Leslie, it's okay. In the meantime, I'm the president and you're not. They're not used to this. Most presidents, uh, certainly all Republican presidents stretching back for my whole lifetime, uh, were in a position where they felt they had to suck up to the media. Maybe the only exception was Reagan. But the rest of them felt like they had to suck up to the media or else their presidency would really suffer because the media had so much power and so much ability to sway public opinion. Instead, Trump is like, you know what? You think you're going to push me around? I'm just going to push back. And he did a he did a, a fantastic job in that Leslie Stahl interview. But they still can't lay a glove on him. I mean, this media is coming at him with everything they've got. They lie about him. They do publish fake news. They say fake news. They do all kinds of things. At the end of the day, the president's just got It's got too many skills. They can't handle it. If you've ever found yourself wincing at that weak taste of coffee from one of those commie corporate brands, you probably thought, I wish they spent less time on meaningless bias training, bathroom policy reform, and things that defy common sense, and more time on their coffee. That's why you need to start every day with Black Rifle Coffee. I find Black Rifle absolutely delicious. And not only is it fantastic coffee, I like that I'm supporting a company founded by veterans of the special operations community, guys who love this country, love what they do for their fellow veterans, and are all about delicious, small-batch, roast-to-order coffee. Everybody listening to this should make Black Rifle Coffee their coffee brand. No reason not to, folks. Go to BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck. Receive 15% off your order. BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck. Be sure you use that code. BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck. There was so much talk, or there is so much talk about the blue wave. When we all went through the Kavanaugh experience in the last few weeks, many people said this is going to drive more Democrats to go out and vote. But if you actually look at the polls, they've tightened. They've tightened. This Kavanaugh situation has hurt Democrats in the way that they handled it. We knew that Democrats were excited to vote before. We know through the Kavanaugh confirmation, now a lot more Republicans are excited to vote. One of the things Democrats have been pushing uh, is they're sort of the moral leaders, and they have been pointing the finger at Republicans. And something sort of got... (sighs) 
muzzled in the last few weeks that when you sit down with, with even a centrist and you talk about the Kavanaugh confirmation, whether it's my feelings or not, they're quickly saying it's not just dirty politics on one side and Merrick Garland on one side, the way Mitch McConnell handled it. More and more people are saying they don't like the way Democrats handled it. The Senate Democrats were incredibly ineffective in the Kavanaugh hearings. Ineffective, huh? That's the story that we're going to get told now, that, that it's because they were ineffective. No, it's because what they did was disgusting. It's because it was obvious. It's because they think that they can still get away with things now that they could get away with 20 years ago, maybe even 10 or 15 years ago more easily. They can't get away with it anymore. And yet they cling to this notion that they can completely and utterly rewrite the rules as they go along. This is the the most interesting aftermath assessment you could possibly uh, imagine with the Kavanaugh hearing now in the rearview mirror, although the Kavanaugh issue is certainly not going away anytime soon. They are just beginning, the Democrats are just beginning to realize, oh my gosh, not only did we overplay our hand, not only did we miscalculate how this whole process would go, Uh, But we didn't understand what the public reaction to it would be. It turns out there are a lot of Americans who did not enjoy the televised ritual humiliation and denigration of a devoted dad, husband, son. Turns out there are a lot of folks who didn't think that the elimination of any due process, the elimination of any presumption of innocence as a principle was something that you know, something that people would have a problem with. Oh, no, they do have a problem with it. You know, the Democrats in the media are effectively Democrat activists. So they think like activists do, and they travel in circles surrounded by other people with this echo chamber effect. And that's why they can get completely caught unaware of something like this. The Kavanaugh situation is not only... Now, uh, of course, a, a conservative on the Supreme Court. It's not just that that has come from all of this. There is, and they don't want to talk about it. You know, they don't know what to do because they don't want to mention this, but they also can't entirely ignore it. And it is that the possibility of the Republican Party keeping a majority in the House of Representatives is very real. They are within striking distance. And it will be largely because, I think, of what we witnessed in the whole Kavanaugh hearing. So not only will they have lost the battle to stop a a highly qualified conservative constitutionalist from being on the Supreme Court, they lost that battle. They may have also lost, we'll see, I'm not saying it's happened yet, but they may have also lost a House majority because of their hardball tactics, because of the way that they have approached this entire situation. That's stunning. And it just goes to show you that while the other side is bereft of principle, while the Democrats will do whatever they want to do whenever they want to do it, it's not like there's some genius hive brain that's running this whole thing. They did everything that they could that they thought would work. They held it to the very last minute. Uh, They had the media completely in their pocket. They came very close to derailing the Kavanaugh nomination. They did. So, in a sense, you have to give these these devious evildoers credit on the left for almost accomplishing their goal, but they never thought, what happens if we fail? They must have assumed, that I think it is the case, that they assumed, 
all along, well, if somehow this does not work out, we will be uh, lauded as heroes on the left. We will be considered, we, the Senate Democrats, you know, I am Spartacus, Cory Booker and Feinstein and the rest of the swamp-dwelling swamp creatures. They would all be viewed as going to the mat for a righteous cause. They would all be viewed as having done the right thing, even if they hadn't come out victorious in the end. And now what we see is, well, yeah, sure, the left is excited about this, but the left-wing base already hated Kavanaugh. They already hated Trump. They already were going to do anything that they could to vote for Democrats. What they didn't anticipate was that normal Americans, yes, dare I say, even some undecideds and independents, saw the way the Democrats were acting in that whole process, and they came away from it thinking, hmm, I don't think we should hand over power to crazy. I don't think we should hand over power to crazy. I don't think that makes sense. It's a bad idea. And if you're not going to hand over power to crazy, that means you got to keep the, the Republicans in charge. Uh, that means that all of the media's efforts to create this Russia collusion narrative and all these other stories about Trump and the 20, 25th Amendment and all of that will have been for naught. And it will have been for naught because instead of just understanding that it was a do-or-die political issue for the Republicans to not cave when it came to Kavanaugh, uh, they thought if they were willing to take the gloves off and uh, take the gloves off and do anything, they would, of course, come out the victors in the end. That was the that was the assumption that uh, they were making, and it was a very bad assumption as we see now. But I just think it's interesting. There you had an MSNBC host thinks, you know, wow, it's like you mean like they're people are like upset about the Kavanaugh thing and like think the Democrats. But of course, what they want to say is Democrats weren't effective which is really a, almost a version of, well, you know, communism is just not implemented well enough, right? It's not that what the Democrats did with Kavanaugh was on its face, in its essence, at its foundation, a, complete, a completely immoral disgrace. It was. But that's not what they're taking away from this. What they're taking away is, oh, I guess Democrats didn't play their play their hand well enough. I guess maybe they didn't you know, strategize this thoroughly enough or strategery, as Bush would have said. Strategery and decider are great words that uh, that Bush gave us. Uh, so I, I would note that th- this is this is a very real sentiment, folks. The House is in play. Senate's going to be Republican. We're good to go. We're, you and I are going to be high-fiving on November 6th when the Senate results come in. The Senate's good to go, so we're clear of that. Which also means that the president is in no danger whatsoever of being removed. I mean, not that he really was anyway, but you know, you have a Republican majority, never mind getting to two thirds, you want to get to 51 to get the president out. Uh, but on the House side of things, we have been led to believe all along that there was a almost no chance the Republicans would keep the House. Now we see, hold on a second. Not only is the overstating their case thing true when it comes to Beto, the uh, Irishman pretending to be a Hispanic guy, Uh, They may have overstated their advantage and their case when it comes to a whole lot of other stuff like the entire House of Representatives. Maybe I'm particularly attuned to this right now because of the madness that we have seen just just today uh, with regard to (laughs) this Elizabeth Warren DNA fiasco, this this self-inflicted wound that uh, that Elizabeth Warren now has and and it reminds me though that that the left 
really is increasingly uh, just just losing its mind. I mean, there's nothing that you can really say anymore uh, that is an extension of their previous beliefs. There's there's nothing that you can really say and think, well, there's no way they'd ever make that, you know, if I'm trying to make a point about the extremes of what they believe and what they think, they wouldn't go that far. Well, it, it turns out that we're running out of areas where that is still true. It, it turns out that there are very few things that we can point to and say, oh, they would never they would never allow that thing to happen anymore because those examples that we used to use are increasingly now the reality on the left. All right, so uh, this is the this is the perfect example. You have the Daily Caller here with a piece that a biological male who identifies as a transgender woman won a women's world championship cycling event on Sunday. You know, Rachel McKinnon, a professor at the College of Charleston, won the women's sprint 35 to 39 age bracket at the 2018 UCI Masters Track Cycling World Championship in Los Angeles. So we have somebody who's the first transgender woman world champion ever, and we're supposed to celebrate this. Do they really expect us to celebrate this? This is supposed to be treated like it is in some way a victory. A victory for whom? A victory for transgender rights? Certainly not a victory for women. The reason that we have sex-segregated sports is not because of sexism. And maybe this is where progressives just can't follow the logic train here. Maybe they just are unable to understand this. But the reason we have sex-segregated sports is because... Men are overwhelmingly and invariably biologically larger, heavier, stronger, and faster than women as a function of hormones and genetics. That's just, that's the truth, right? I mean, I I used to occasionally, with some friends of mine, uh, scrimmage with some of the women's varsity teams when I was in in college. And then I could tell you that a, a reasonably athletic college male would probably be a three sport superstar for most female programs if he had had some of the of the same skills by playing let's say on a high school team i mean that's just the truth but that's why we have sex segregated sports but the left is so devoted to this idea of transgender rights and transgenderism as something that must be celebrated remember i've told you the the way that the progressives approach these issues is it starts with just just tolerant be tolerant. And then it's, you know, be inclusive. And then it's celebrated. And then it's, you know, accept, well, it's accept this or else, which is basically a version of celebrated. But they, they always have this sliding scale and it will start just with, oh, just tolerate it. That's the first thing. And, and then you have to, you know, later you'll affirm it and then you'll be told to celebrate it. That's, I skipped affirm to celebrate there before. But here we have it. I mean, if I had told you five years ago, that we would see pieces about how men could compete in female sporting events because they say they're transgender and that would be considered fair somehow on the left, you'd say, Buck, that's just crazy. And I would say, well, yes, it's crazy, but now it's true. Now it's happening. Uh, this, That's right. Here you have, this is the, yep, this was the women's world championships, women's world championships. And uh, you have you have men competing in these events now then the whole notion that we have to say biological male i would note is a misnomer because 
male is a function of biology, as is female. We can pretend that these things are separate. We can pretend that they are distinct, but we are just only fooling ourselves. And and it can't be a shock to anybody that on, on a day, or it shouldn't come as a shock that on the same day when we're told that somebody can claim to be Native American because they are point point you know point zero 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 one seven whatever Native American, and not even really Native American, but actually from Hispanic or uh, Latino, uh, you know, uh, background. I mean, it's not even clear that it's actually Native American. That same day when science no longer matters is a day when we're told that we have to celebrate this this madness of uh, transgenderism as somehow the best thing possible uh, for the future of the civil rights movement in this country. I mean, this is the new civil rights movement. That's why the left is so devoted to it. It's the new civil rights movement. But also there's a an underlying antipathy. There's an underlying disdain that the uh, progressive left has for the distinctions between sexes, for male-female gender roles or even male-female gender uh, stereotypes. They, they hate all of it. They think they can eradicate it. And this is where people would say it's really a form of a kind of radical cultural Marxism, but they just believe in this absolute equality such that now we can have people who have XY chromosome, they are males, and they are competing against females in major sporting events. Liberty, truth, and great hair. Feel those funky beats. It's time for Roll Call. All right, Roll Call. It is time to get into it, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sending all of your thoughts into the show. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. It has been pointed out by some of you, some of my uh, trusted friends and fellow patriots, that I should probably do some roll call via Snippy because I have a Snippy account and I'm getting all of you to use Snippy and they're a wonderful sponsor of the show. So we're going to start doing some of that uh, as soon as we can get folks to write in there. So start your snippy.com account and you can send me messages via Snippy and I will add that into Facebook and there you go. And then we'll hopefully transition away uh, and start using more and more Snippy over time. That's the plan. All right, Candice writes, Buck, I agree with you on almost everything except meat and music. 27 years meatless as for music has your brother ever heard muffin man by frank zappa he might appreciate it keep up the good work brother shields high candace oss well candace shields high to you i don't know why you're asking about my brother and muffin man but perhaps there's something i need to learn something i need to know that i don't already and i'm always down to uh, to learn more new and interesting and exciting things so I will check out this Mr. Frank Zappa and his Muffin Man. Trevor writes, Yesterday's episode made me think of this show from days gone by, and he sent me something with Celebrity uh, celebrity Deathmatch. Is that what this is called? Mr. T fighting Marilyn Manson. Uh, you are very creative, Trevor. Thank you for sending this through. Uh, let's see what we have here. Chad writes, Buck, love your show. Heard your conversation on kitchen knives and keeping them sharp, uh, <laughs> sharp, not sharp. Work sharp knife and tool sharpener is a game changer. OSS, 
Shields High. Well, Chad, thank you for uh, writing in with this, and I will look into this sharpener. Paul, hey, Buck, now that Red Eye has gone to the big broadcast booth in the sky, can you tell me why Andy didn't get that job? Tom was very funny, but just too darn nice. Red Eye was pissing vinegar, and he turned it into a white wine spritzer. Keep up the good work. Shields high. Uh, you know, Paul, I don't know why Andy Levy uh, did not become the host of Red Eye, so I, I really would just be speculating if I said anything here. Uh, I've always really enjoyed working with Andy. I think he's a good dude, and I'm sure he would have done a good job, but there's a lot that goes into that decision-making, including sometimes the people that are up for the for one job or another it turns out they don't even really necessarily want that job they want a different job you just don't know uh with unless you know and i don't so there you have it chris buck love the show it's my sanity whoopee i don't know what a whoopee is but it sounds nice i would have gone ape crap from the start just in case you are totally unaware I've noticed you went from very constrained to very noticeably vocal anti-left commentator I totally agree with you and would have been banned from the airwaves in week one. Just want you to be aware of the shift in audience perception. I'm not knocking you at all, but a new listener would could be jarred by the change in your tone. I love it, Chris. You know, Chris, I just I think that there's an there's an adaptation going on in my thinking. And it's maybe something I've been a little slower than some of my uh, other colleagues on the right to adopt in some ways, because I come from this perspective of. Well, this will sound self-aggrandizing, but knowledge, having a background in, in the actual work that I do, especially on the national security side, knowledge and facts and wisdom. That's how I try to approach what I do. And, and so I always want to think that I could have liberals listen to this show, and I certainly hope to all the liberals who are listening that they still feel this way. But I want them to know that I, I want to bring them over to my side, uh, and I don't want to be too strident. That has always been my approach. But recently, the left has gone insane. And so I am separating out in my mind. I want to say insane. I mean more insane than usual. I separate out in my mind how I speak to Democrats really in general from how I'm now speaking to the hardcore left, because I am at ideological war with the hardcore left. Uh, centrist Democrats, I-, I want to come over to my side, not necessarily even on everything, but on whatever they're willing to. But the hardcore left just must be ideologically smashed and, and destroyed. It must be defeated. You know, the antifas, the uh, the people that are running around with the pink hats on and that are saying due process doesn't count anymore. And they they the ones who are doing deep platforming and want people to be boycotted and to be fired from their jobs for you know expressing conservative opinions. We have to fight that ideology, not not meet it in. A gentlemanly contest but we actually have to throw some elbows and that that maybe has been a a learning process for me in this era of trump because i've seen more and more of what the left uh, not just what the left is but how much of the democrat party and how much of the ideological uh center to left they control and the hard left i mean the progressive vanguard is way too prominent, way too powerful, and, ca- and cannot be uh, just wished away anymore. So if I sound at all like I'm a little more strident or a little more uh, fired up about things in the last few months, it's really because I've seen what this battle we're entering into is all about. 
And this is political total war. This is not, uh, you know, may the best man win. This is one man will win and one man will not leave the octagon, so to speak. And in that kind of political environment, you you have to be ready to to go bare knuckle. And, and in a sense, that's really what I've learned from Trump. You know, there there have been some things that Trump has done and Trump has said, and I've thought, oh, my gosh, that's such a mistake. Oh, my gosh. How could Trump have have gone with that? That's so that's so foolish of him. That's so silly. And then within a few and this happens less and less now because I realize who we're dealing with with Trump. Uh, and then time passes and I realize, wait a second, he was right not to apologize for that. They would have just mauled him like a like a uh, I was going to say a flock of piranhas. But now I'm mixing things up uh, like a school of angry, raging piranhas. Uh, they, they they would have torn him apart if he had agreed to what they said he should agree to about one statement he made or another. Better to stand and fight and constantly push back on these issues. These are things that I'm learning from Trumpism. Just like all of you, I have to adapt my approach and my thinking for the the current moment. I have to actually think about what's working, what's not working. And I, I reevaluate. I'll say one of the most important lessons I've seen, one of the biggest uh, differentiators when it comes to whether someone is successful or not is, do they have the capacity for self-correction uh, do they have the ability to look at whatever they're doing in life how they're treating themselves how they're treating other people uh, how they are doing their work or whatever how, how they're taking care of their health and and objectively assess what is going right what is not what is going wrong or not going well and make changes and i'm constantly making changes i mean i have core principles and a and an approach and an ethos but I'm constantly making changes to what I think is going to to work best in this this ideological fight. I mean, that's really what I do here every day. Yes, I like to present information, and there's an, an aspect of this that's uh, really just about, dare I say, to borrow from the left, community, right? We are all a community here on the show. Um, but there's also how can I equip those who listen to this show with the best arguments possible and equip them also with the knowledge that they are, in fact, correct in their beliefs, right? Explain not just what we should all think about different issues, but why we should think that way. Uh, so I think that's all very, very important. Um, and uh, and yeah, I, I am also in a process of, of learning all the time. I don't want to ever make it seem like I'm just the one guy who thinks that he's doing it the right way and, and is never adjusting. I'm adjusting all the time. Brad writes, Dear Buck, I just read that Hillary Clinton's security clearance was revoked at her request. I was wondering what uh, your thoughts on this are and why in the world would she make such a request, especially if she's planning on running again in 2020. I'm a loyal podcast listener and wanted to thank you for releasing your podcast earlier so us folks up here in Alaska can listen to it on the way home. Shields high and thanks for keeping us in the know, Brad. Uh, well, Brad, first of all, I'm so glad you like the podcast is out sooner. And I'm hoping that everybody in the West Coast knows that we're pretty much now, our podcast is going up for this show, for the Buck Sexton show, in drive time on the West Coast. So, you know, there's no problem with you deciding that you're going to just get a little bit ahead of the game and uh, and listen to it a little early. You don't, have to, you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait for it to be rebroadcast or to be broadcast on whatever stations near you. You can listen to it on the uh, on the podcast, however you consume podcasts. Uh, and so that's great news that you're listening up in Alaska that way. And as for uh, keeping everybody in the know, I certainly try. Hillary and her security clearance, 
look, let's just let's just call it what it is. Hillary should never have been able to keep a security clearance after the debacle that occurred with her private email server, private email account, all that stuff. I mean, that was just completely it, it should have been horrifically embarrassing uh, for anybody, not just associated with Hillary Clinton, but who was willing to defend that nonsense that she held under clearance until this point just goes to show you how broken the system is. I want to remind you all that uh, this Friday, I will be doing an event with my friends at Stansbury Research. It'll be about what's coming next in the markets and big, big things to tell you about. I'll be joining them for a full live event this Friday. Just go to buckevent.com. Free to register, folks. Totally free. You can watch the whole thing. Register for it free. All free. Buckevent.com. Again, B-U-C-K-E-V-E-N-T.com. Uh, that's going to be it for today's edition in the Freedom Hut, my friends. I will see you tomorrow. Shields high. Background checks can be a sensitive business. You want to make sure you get the right information, you get it in a timely fashion, and that you can trust the people who are doing them. Because when you're hiring or you're looking for someone that's going to be a tenant for a property you're renting out, you need somebody that you can trust and who gets the job done. That's Global Verification Network. Global Verification Network is the only dual-certified veteran-owned background investigation and vetting company. They have headquarters in Chicago, offices throughout the country, and they work with startups all the way up to Fortune 100 companies. Unlike a lot of their competitors in the background investigation space, no data or client information is ever offshored. These guys should be your vetting company of choice. They are absolutely the best when it comes to making sure your data is secure and that whenever you have a question, you get an answer on the phone. Go to mygvn.com. Again, that's mygvn.com or call 877-695-1179.